What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. Today is Fog Nozzle Friday, episode four, with my brother Aaron Quinn, and that is all I'm going to say about that. Enjoy the episode. I'm here with my brother Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Hi, how are you all? Good well, to see you. Good to hear from you. Yeah, good to talk with you. So uh, this week we had kind of a short run-up to our Fog Nozzle Friday and um, got zero questions. Um, however, I still have – I have some questions that were pressing in my mind, and I think they're, they really share some insight into who you are and, and might offer some insight into a little bit of our thought processes, et cetera, whatever. So um, – are you ready to answer a couple of questions? Yeah, I think honestly, uh, when you tend to these questions, I was like, "Ooh, these are hard questions." <laughs> right? They're, uh, it, it, they they are thought provoking, yeah. and I really enjoyed it because I was like, "Man, I, I got to sit down and really focus on this and kind of like do a mental inventory almost of myself." Yeah, uh, to come up with some of these answers. So I really enjoyed the process. Well, good. Well, here's what I what I what I would challenge those who are listening is as you hear these questions. Answer them yourself as well. Take note of the question because I think they're really cool questions to, to kind of prompt some deep thinking for yourself. So, without further ado, let's just dive into it. So, Aaron, yes. I'll go. I'll, I'll ask you a question. You answer it first, and then I'll follow you. How's that sound? Sounds great. Okay. So, Aaron, what choices have you uh, made in your life that have shaped who you are? So. this is kind of a challenging one for me kind of break down whether was it a conscious choice I actually made versus is just kind of who you are and how you evolved. Mm. So I really tried to think and focus on times in my life where I have made a conscious choice to shift directions or to focus on this or that. So the three big ones that kind of popped up to me was the first one was when I was in high school. It was going from freshman year to sophomore year. And I did, was not a very good student. I, w- I, I worked hard, but I didn't get good grades. I was kind of in the C, C range at best. And then I, I clearly remember one day, and I'm sure it was just a combination of a little bit from here, a little bit from here, things I've read, things I've heard. And it just, for whatever reason, it just coalesced. And I had this very clear thought of, I need to become active in my own learning. I need to take responsibility for my own learning. And the more I think about that throughout my life, where I see that play out is so many times people, we just do as we're told, mm. right? We, you go to school, take these classes, you have to study this stuff for, for this test, but there's no intention of learning this stuff other than just getting a test to so go to college, you get a job, whatever. And so there was, it wasn't really a, an ownership of what you're learning and why you're learning it. And so that's one thing I think really was a conscious choice that I made from that freshman or sophomore year to say, you know, what, I'm going to. I am going to take an active ownership of my learning and really try to learn this stuff and learn and learn how to learn, learn how to become a learner so I can learn what I want to learn later in life. And at that point, I got straight A's. So, so it was a, it was a, it was a big point. I think another point for me was kind of when I made the decision to really focus my life on, on fitness and staying and staying in shape or fit, whatever that means to you or any any other person, uh, that could, that's a whole separate question. What that means to to, to you individually, but I, I clearly remember there's a time when I 
when I finished my junior college athletics, I wasn't quite good enough to go to college and play there. Uh, it wasn't really my path anyway. I was kind of leaning towards the fire service and I didn't work out, do anything for maybe about six months or so. And just kind of felt like crud. And in that period, I, again, made a conscious choice. You know what? I'm really going to prioritize this in my life throughout my life. My whole life is being fit and being in shape and just follow that path. And I think the, the last, the, la- the, la- the third thing, the last thing, and this is something that I'm working on currently is really trying to focus on being purposeful in what I do, mm-hmm. not just going through the rote motions, whether that's working out, whether that's reading, whether that's cooking dinner, whether that's picking the kids up, just really trying to be purposeful and have a purpose behind what it is that I'm doing. And, and that's changed the way I work out. It's changed the way I, I, I interact with people. It changes what I've commit to, what I don't commit to. Um, so that's been a big piece that I'm still working on that. And it's a new piece for me. Hmm. Well, Man, that's, those are great. I love it. I, I wrote down a, a short list of things too, but I'm going to give you one because I think that the, the, the one, there's one pivot point in my life that I look back and go, Ooh, that, that was transformative for me when I, as I reflect back. Right. So when I was 11, my parents split and got a divorce and for whatever reason, my parents decided to give me a choice. And so I made the choice to go and live with my father. And so I moved from the West coast in Canada all the way to Toronto, Ontario. And the dynamic that existed with my dad, who is, who was newly single and trying to, trying to survive. He's a, uh, uh, an actor and musician and just hooking and jabbing and trying to make ends meet, uh, thrust me into this very difficult situation where my dad was, uh, basically set me on my own. Here I was 11 and a half years old, turning 12. And he's like, here's some bus tokens, uh, find your way to school. You are on your own. And that forced independence, uh, led me to getting a a job at a very early age, uh, feeding myself, clothing myself. And, uh, it created a sense of, of hardness that, uh, I, I grew into. And there was all kinds of experiences that I had as a as a young person trying to learn how to work, you know, 12, 13 years old, getting a job at McDonald's and then getting a job at a care home and, and, you know, working in, in places where a person my age should probably not be working. And I began to understand, and this was the big takeaway for me that has really, tra- really affected my entire life. I'm responsible for the outcome. And, and there are variables that, that I can't control and, but the things that I can control are my responsibility. And the decision I made as an 11 year old to go and live with my father, um, despite the hardship that that really, when I reflect back on like, man, no 11 year old should have to deal with some of the crap I had to deal with, but it, it helped me grow up and mature and really set me, set my wheels on some, on a pretty interesting track. Yeah. Yes. It's when I hear that, I think of the quote that was it. If you put a potato in boiling water, it softens. If you put an egg in boiling water, it hardens. Mm. And, and I think of that because the same story you're telling, someone else could tell it and and not have made that same decision, not not have been self-reliant, not have grown. And, mm. and I just find it super fascinating that what is it actually inside of who you are as a person that thrusts in that environment, you know, you, you know, like I said, you, it hardened you. It, became, it made you self-reliant. 
Yeah. That's a fascinating, it's a fascinating dive right mm. there in and of itself. That is a, yeah, I know. I appreciate you saying that because that I think about how that could have gone differently for, for different people. And it, for me, it peeled back a layer and allowed me to grow. And I think, you know, for some people, you hear people's stories, it might've, it might've been their demise. Yeah. Huh? Well, so, so to that end, let me ask you another question. Yeah. What's something that you believe that other people think is crazy? And, so I, and let I, me just I, say I, this. I, I love this question because I, <laughs> I think it gives some really interesting insight into who a person is. Now go ahead. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of tried to like just scale this thing down into more the fitness realm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think me and you are kind of the same thought plot, you know, philosophy, a lot of the fitness stuff and a lot of the spirituality stuff. So I, I don't find myself too crazy in that sense. But one of the things I, I that, that I, that I speak about often that I think people look at like, you're, you're crazy is the need to work out without a warm up. <laughs> to, get rid of, to get rid of the warm up. Okay. I'm not, and I'm not saying all the time, just saying some of the time. Nice. Especially when it comes to, especially when it comes to firefighters. Um, you know, obviously because we wake up in the middle of the night, you know, we, we, we go from a sitting position to a resting position to eating to right to, to working. There's obviously crossover there. You can see that. But also if you're an everyday person in everyday life, you don't warm up before you go pick up the kids. You don't warm up before you pick up these groceries. So this idea that somehow we need to spend 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes rolling, stretching, whatever, before you perform this task, I believe actually is setting us up for, for failure outside of life. And that's the injury. That's a, that's one of the places within the fitness realm that I think my ideas people think are crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what, where you went with this question. Okay. So, well, my response was, uh, the fact that I, I believe that ultra distance hiking, running and cycling is fun. I enjoy it. And I think a lot of people think that, you know, when you talk about running 50 miles or riding a hundred or, or, you know, doing a multi-day, multi-week hike, being the backcountry is, is a little bit nutty. And, um, but for me, it is, it's overwhelmingly spiritual and it's overwhelmingly rewarding to go into the backcountry and go into the wilderness and see vast stretches of it. Uh, in a weekend, you know, I remember early on, I was be, you go backpacking and you know, I'm like, I don't have time to go, you know, spend three days to go cover, you know, a 15 mile loop. So I'm like, well, I'll just go run it and be, you know, go hit a, a 15 mile loop or, or even further in a weekend or in a day for, so for me, there's a tremendous reward there. Not to mention when we talk about the physicality of it, physically stretching your body to a limit that you never knew was possible. There's some very serious reward there. Absolutely. I can't remember exactly. I don't know if I talked about this before on a podcast, but there's a, I want to say Japanese. It could be Chinese. I'm not certain. There's some sect of monk spiritual discipline where part of their spiritual growth is running. Mm. And it's like ridiculous. It's like, it's like, you know, 30 miles a day for like a, a year and a half. It, it, it's a oh, tremendous yes. amount of it, it, it's a it's so a Buddhist, much so that the, uh, that, it's a Buddhist monk die. group. Yeah, yeah. People people literally die trying to do this running and not even can do it. But I think in that there is a absolutely a spiritual discipline, a spiritual awakening, and learning that happens when we when we're able to 
push ourselves to that level. I think the, the, the running, the hiking, the rucking, that helps to disassociate the mind from the body to some degree, mm-hmm. which, I, which I think is, is important when it comes to spiritual growth. Yeah. I'll tell you something else I think, I think is that, that, that I totally believe in that I guess people think is crazy as What's far that? as spiritual growth, spiritual stuff. I totally believe in like chi energy and the fact that in the past people were able to do all kinds of crazy things with the energy and in this day and time we're unable to because of how we live and, and where we live mm-hmm. and our disconnection from our body and the nature and environment and how we don't really, you know, practice meditation or or increasing that, that, that energy, that charge in our body. Uh, I totally believe that in the past, or even maybe in some, you know, remote mountains somewhere in the Himalayas, you know, that there are people that can still do this stuff. Um, I totally believe that. Yeah. I think there's a, there's an untapped potential in our, in our minds, um, that we, that, that we don't access. I think we're very muted in what we're capable of. Um, I think that I have no idea how to access it. So I'm just gonna stop right there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, me too. So. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, next question. In the yeah. last five years, what's a new behavior or habit that has changed your life? So this is a fun one for me. Uh, the first the first two are more like, I guess, concrete. So your listeners want to try something out or give it a shot. And uh, I guess the last one's concrete too, but it's a little more airy-fairy. Uh, so the first one is Wim Hof Method. Mm. I've talked about it before. I, I knew you were going to go like, there. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I tell, I tell everyone, I feel like I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, the guy in the town running around shouting. About Pied it, Piper. It. Yeah. You know, just it for me, again, not for everyone, but for, but for me, it's been absolutely, uh, it has changed my life in every single facet and, and, and aspect. Uh, one of the ways that I, I really see this is that it, it's allowed me to connect more with my body and mind. And also in the same token of connecting, it also has allowed me to kind of disconnect from that monkey mind everyone talks about mm. the, 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 the dialogue that goes to the head and really witness that is, is kind of this side conversation. It doesn't really, it doesn't have to exist. And that, and that also then translates to the idea that our body talks to us and it doesn't always give us the right information either. And I know it sounds kind of weird. People, people, and people, and people are going to try to like understand that. And like, how could you, you know, what do you mean by that? And, and the best thing I can say is what Wim always says is feeling is believing. Like you, you, you got to do it and you got to stick to it. And some pretty amazing things, uh, will, will happen and unfold for you that I don't believe the science can, can fully, can fully understand or, or yeah. break down how it happens. Yeah. We, I had the opportunity to participate in a breathwork session recently and the, yeah, you told me, yeah. And I was literally vibrating. I don't know. I don't know how else else to describe it. It was a, such an amazing and enlightening experience every time I've tried it. And this was the last, I've done two sessions that were led by, a, uh, an expert, if you will, and who, who guided us through the process and it was mind blowing. It was phenomenal. Anybody listen to this, if you get an opportunity, you have got to go and give it a shot. Try it out. It is transformative. I totally agree with you. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I was lucky enough to be kind of brought into this study where they're studying whether or not uh, the Wim Hof method breathing technique just by itself can induce brain waves similar to the ones that you would, you would produce if you were smoking DMT or taking ayahuasca. Mm. And 
Uh, earlier in the study, which I was not a part of, they measured people's brain waves who smoked DMT or took ayahuasca. Okay. And then they brought us in, uh, people who have practiced the method for some time, have some experience with it, and had us do just 20 minutes of the breathing. And not only did our brain waves were similar, they matched almost identically oh. to that of the people taking those substances. And, you know, with all the rage in the world about all the psychoactive medicines and plant medicines, how they heal the body and all stuff like that, you know, it's, it's amazing to think that the access is within our own hands within 20 minutes of some breath work. Yeah. Pretty amazing yeah. stuff. Yeah. No, I absolutely. The, uh, yeah. As, so as I consider this question, the, the very first thing that popped in my head was jujitsu. Of course. But <laughs> and, I've been doing that for longer than five years. So I, well, I, I, I couldn't put that one. Well, I, I, I realized I, I did a quick, some quick math and I'm like, oh, I've been doing jujitsu a little bit longer than that. So I had to write it off. Yeah. So yeah. I, I will say this, the, what I landed on was for me, I have been learning to be more empathetic. And if you kind of think back to the story I told you about when I was 11, I kind of got into this, you know, I'm responsible for everything. I can't, I'm not going to take help from anybody. I'm, I'm independent and that, you know, I matured very quickly. And as a result, I think it muted my empathy in a lot of ways. And, you know, you'd think, oh, as a firefighter, you're very empathetic and, but there's no, right? there's ways to cut that empathy off because you're managing your emotions on a lot of this. Several years ago, my brother and my father uh, both died within a week of one another and the outreach, the love that was poured out on me by the fire department and my community and friends, et cetera, was unbelievable. And, and unbelievable. And it resulted in me reflecting on what does it mean to sit with somebody when they're in grief, right? How do you, how do you do that? And, you know, I heard, I, I did hear people say things like, oh, hey man, like, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be, uh, you know, they're in a better place and it, it'll be okay. And, you know, uh, time will heal, time heals all wounds and, and that kind of stuff, right? These platitudes and I started to realize that, no, um, the people who just said, hey, man, this hurts and this really sucks. And I'm, I'm going to miss your brother and I'm going to miss your dad. That for me, uh, that was where the salve was and where the love was and the, them just coming in and sitting in the discomfort with me, you know, metaphorically sometimes and sometimes literally but recognizing that there's nothing you can do to lift the burden off somebody, but you can be present with them and you can sit with them. You can't make it go away. And so that's for me, uh, having gone through that experience with my family, it, it helped me begin to become a little bit more soft around the edges, a little bit more empathetic and un understanding of the grief process and understanding that uh, it's, it's hard and it sucks and there's not a whole lot you can do to lift. Uh, but you can be present and you can sit in the grief with people. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I think there's so many interesting things, uh, in your story. First of all, it's, it's touching and it's, and it's a human experience. So everyone can relate to it. Um, but I think as firefighters, we, we, we really disconnect. And, mm -hmm. and I think empathy is a, empathy is a huge challenge for us. Uh, you, you have to, to some degree, lose empathy to be to be effective in the moment uh at the in the job oftentimes mm. and and on top of that we aren't really given time to grieve 
you know, if, if, if there's a tough call, you could get back to the station and have another one right away mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. a week from now or two weeks from now, whatever. So you don't, we're not given that time, time to grieve. Couple that with the fact that in our culture, we're not really taught how to grieve either. Right. Um, there's a, you know, there, there's this small, but growing movement about toxic, toxic positivity. Yeah. Yes. And this, yeah. This idea that like everyone's positive, everything's great. And, and really, if you look at a lot of the great philosophers and great, teachers of the world throughout time and history it they they really point to the fact that it's it's, it's in the times of struggle and grief and pain and in the shadows where we grow the most we learn the most and and there's a purpose of of, of us experiencing those experiences and being in those experiences and I, and I think more than anything else the people who are able to come to you like you said and just man i'm really sorry this sucks and share that you know grief grief shared is grief lessened yeah uh, that's a that, that that's kind of a saying. I, I think they're the ones that are more open to feel that grief and open to feel that pain. I, I understand that when they're feeling it, you're feeling it and there's going to be some kind of growth out of it. Whereas the people who say stuff, you know, come, yeah, things would be better. They, they mean well, but that's more comforting for themselves. hundred you know, percent. They're trying to comfort themselves in the situation and they feel yeah. like, Oh man, I feel awkward and weird. What do I say? I'll say this because yes. this will make, make me feel better. Right. Um, you know, so I, I hear you, man. That's a, yeah. that's a, and the, the, the empathy train is a, is a hard one to get on, um, yeah. for first responders. Yeah. Um, yeah. Be, and I'm realizing, I, I'm realizing how so important it is to the people around us. And so even in the, even in the moments, um, where I just, I think about somebody I'm like, Oh, you know, I haven't talked to, you know, Courtney in a long time and I just give him a call. And he's like, Hey dude, I don't know why, but I felt the need to call you. So I'm calling to say hi. <laughs> and just recognizing that we can be more present in each other's lives. Um, that's part of that for me is part of that lesson learned is just, we need to connect with people. That's all we have is each other. All this other stuff goes away. Right. And, and yet we have one another on this rock flying through the space. <laughs> and that's, that is the most important piece. Absolutely. And maybe jump back to the previous question. You know, one of my thoughts is like life in general, uh, it, 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 it's sole purpose is to perpetrate more life. And, and it's, 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 there's sadness and sorrow and there's a lot of pain in life. Mm-hmm. I think the purpose of pain is to forge growth and, mm-hmm. and to hopefully help forge human connection. And, and to your point, you know, I really think the whole point of this whole thing for us being here is to is to try to help each other and be there for each other and make this whole experience a little less painful um, for each other. Yeah. And maybe that's a crazy idea, no. referencing to the last question, or maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. but I hear you. Yeah. All right. Last question. Uh, last question. What is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever been given? This was challenging. So I, I was trying to like, like think of like a sing, a single like piece of advice that, <laughs> right. that, 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 that someone gave me and really a, a story popped in my head. So I, I'll share that. But first I, I think as cliche as it sounds, the single most important advice I think that I can, I can give as like a kind of a summation from, from what I've seen people that I consider to be really good leaders and books I've read is that it's about the people around you and kind of to our, kind of to our last 
we talked about the last question is it, it's, it's about connecting and being there and sharing that experience with those people mm. uh, more than anything else. And, and the story that I'll tell is when I was on probation. So this is, this is about 20 years ago, uh, brand, you know, brand new in, you know, 20, 21 years old. And there is this battalion chief who's, who is like held as like a God. He was like considered the, the best chief. I mean, even the, the administrative staff looked up to him yeah. and, and, and he was like, he was like the end all and be all when it came to what a leader and what a chief should be, you know, like free, everyone respected him from, from the grizzly, you know, 30 year old hoseman to smoke cigars out of a fire to the person in the ivory, you know, tower up in admin, uh, with a nice press suit. Uh, they all respected him and they all revered him. And with that being said, I was, I was at, at a house, you know, working and it was the middle of the day. It was probably about two o'clock. The app door opens up and here he is. And he said, uh, are you firefighter Quinn? I said, yes. He said, come here in the washroom with me. He sat down and I was, I was, you know, I was like, what, what did I fuck up? Holy shit. You know, (laughs) why is he here? I'm going through everything in my mind. Like, like, Reports I didn't file, paper I didn't finish, a test I messed. I was going to do everything, and he, and he said, "Tell me about yourself." Mm. And we sat for about an hour and a half, and, and and he just talked to me. He asked me. He he really didn't ask too much about fire department. He just asked me about who I was, where I grew up, uh, what I what I like to do, if I had any family members, if I had any kids, if I was married, what you know, where I wanted to go in the fire service, where you know, where I wanted to live in the future. Like this, we just talked. He talked a little bit about himself, and when he was done, that was it. He said, "You know what, I." I like to take time, you know, and, and try to meet every probationary that comes in our department, especially ones that are in my battalion. Nice. And that was it. And you, and, and they turned around and, and walked out. I never really saw him again, but, um, I think about that all often, all the time, just to just, you know, I'm sure he had all kinds of things to do, but to take time out. And again, not no, no agenda, just to ask who I was and what I was into that really stuck, that stood out to me. I love that. I think that the, what's funny is the answer that I'm going to share with you here. My response to this question is very similar. I I had, I struggled with this because there's so many lessons I've learned over the years. And at the end of the day, leadership is about people. And what you just shared with me, this idea that we're connecting with people that the, the chief would come down and meet with the brand new probie and talk to that young punk, right? That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing to me. Um, that's not because it's not because it's rare, but because it's important. And the, you know, organizations are built around human beings who, you know, we have these missions and we have these apparatus and we have these, these stations and, you know, and, and, and infrastructure and policies, none of which matter if there's not people here to carry the ball. To, to carry out the mission, to go and interface with the community and actually provide the service to the community. So as in a leadership role, right, when I think about my position and function in, in, in my organization, my job is to help the, the troops be successful, right? And what does that mean, right? So simply it's like, oh, it's the, the bullets, beans, and band-aids, right? It's just all the, the structure. But it's so much more than that because it's about people, right? It's the, it's the bodies and the brains, it's their physical well-being and their emotional well-being also. So everything, you know, I had a wise old chief say one day, he goes, hey, when we're making decisions, I ask myself two questions. Is it good for the community? And is it good for my firefighters? If the answer is no to either one of those, we're not doing it. 
because it's that right there is the the essence that's like the essence yes have you read the book i'm sure you probably have read the book the the, the mission the men and me yes i love that book blaber but yeah but that but that right there is like our mission is to the community and that's the first question the second question is it good for the men and that's 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 the that's the second part of that book it's like it's like right it's right there yeah no i love it well at the end of the day, man, none of this, we, we can't, you know, we don't, we, if the community weren't calling us, we wouldn't have a responsibility. And if we weren't here to answer their calls, you know, it's all about the people. You can have the best systems in the world, the best fire trucks in the world, and, and the best fire stations in the world, et cetera. But if there's not people here to execute the mission, what have you got? Nothing. So I, I, I had this question pop in my head. You know, we said that this is totally tangential, but not, but, but there is a, big thread of connection there <laughs> okay i love it do you do you find that the departments that have now this is great i'll preface that this is a general statement it's blanketed <laughs> it is it, it, it's obviously there's exceptions to this but the but the departments that are the most pristine and have the nicest uniforms and nicest rig nicest stations are generally the ones who sweat the small stuff and they're not the best firefighters they don't take care of their their the people the best Mm-hmm. And the departments that 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 are uh, that are under the maybe financial grind more that have rigs that, that keep breaking or stations that are falling apart they don't have don't have money for two sets of turnouts for every for every person or you know just they're 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 more they're more in the just just in the slug they tend to really understand the people and tend to be better firefighters uh, again I I know it's a general statement and and it's okay if you don't want to answer it because because you're a chief and I get that <laughs> and I'm back you back in the corner and. And, and Chiefs hate that, but I'll just go out, I'll just go out here and say, in, in my limited experience, that's that's what I have witnessed uh, in my limited experience uh, in time in the fire service. Yeah. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, so it's interesting because, you know, we, uh, as a former Marine, we used to always say, we've done so much for so long with so little. You know, you can't outperform that, right? We, we, we just get it on regardless. And the morale and the esprit de corps is high despite the lack of support and resources and whatever. So that speaks to what you're talking about, right? And um, I do feel that organizations that, that find themselves struggling, you know, if they focus on their people, do better. And, you know, I can't say with, with that, that one qualifies as a, more than another necessarily because I think that, you know, you look at the Marines and, and, Uniforms are crisp and discipline is crisp. Well, that's true. Right? But is that a, yeah. you know, what is the organizational priority? You know, their organizational priority is is knowledge, skills, and abilities. But they also say, you know, you got to be sharp. You got to look good. And if you show up looking good, you'll execute well. That being said, um, I think it was, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but, you know, Chief Brunacini used to say, um, Mrs. Smith doesn't care if the fire truck's clean. If you show up and provide right. high quality service to the community, that's the most important thing. Now, I, as a, like I said, as a former Marine, I get a little uptight about that because I like things to be kind of dressed <laughs> right, dress a little bit. I like things to be tight. However, I do appreciate the point he's making, which is it's about our ability to provide service to the community. So I think that you can have both. I think you can have an organization that's pretty tight, but if you are doing that, uh, if you are focusing on the Christmas of uniforms and the Christmas of presentation, crispness of presentation and not thinking and not measuring 
your engagement with the community and not measuring your the morale of your people and the success of your employees and the members and their their quality of life and what they're thinking, you're missing the boat. Because you can't because your primary mission is to serve the community. All I, those other things are merely interesting if you're not doing that right. Yeah. I, I back I, myself I like up to get out of the corner. <laughs> no, yeah. No, it's great. But, but no, but I like that viewpoint. I, I, I like the idea that, that that while you still hold to to, to, to the community and, and and the 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 rank and file, making sure that they're they're taken care of. But with that being said, you know, appearance matters. And mm-hmm. you know, if you can do both, it's even better. Right. If you can show up looking sharp with with, with, you know, with your knowledge and skills on top of the fact that you're also then there for the community and, and, and in the members, then, then you're winning out on, on, both, on both fronts. Right. So I think that's the that's a takeaway that doesn't have to be either or. Yeah. It could be a commission too. That's a very, very, very PC answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, right on, brother. I love it. Well, hey, man, that was uh, that was a great fog nozzle. Yeah, it was good. Right I think these questions were a lot there. I would, I, I would love to hear the the listeners and and and, and hear how, how some of them answer these questions and what their thoughts on them because there's so much depth in these questions. Yeah, yeah. Well, you heard them, folks. Take those questions, go ponder on them. I think there's a lot of value there. Uh, that as you reflect on these things, uh, value for yourself. But yeah, let us know what you think. Awesome. Right on, brother. Have a good day. Yep. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in. If you're enjoying this podcast, get over to whatever platform you like to listen on. Subscribe. This podcast will drop in the middle of the night when you least expect it. Additionally, get on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast. Feel free to shoot me an email. Uh, Any feedback that you provide is valuable for me in helping us build this product to be more uh, in tune with what you want to hear. Lastly, Take the lessons that you're learning here from the people that are sharing their knowledge, imbue it into your life. Remember, there are no shortcuts. So let's go on out there and get some.